Well, good morning, church family. It's great to be here and worship with you today. Uh, And uh, just to kind of kick things off, I just want to ask, what's the first thing that stands out to you when you see a picture of the earth? Like, what's the first thing that just pops out? Yeah, well, it's amazing, absolutely. Um, But yeah, for me, it's the water. Um, And did you know that water covers about 71% of the Earth's surface, but only about 0.5% of the Earth's water is safe and drinkable, Uh, fresh and drinkable specifically? 771 million people, about one in 10, uh, lack access to safe water. And here in the United States, more than 21 million people uh, are drinking water that's below U.S. health safety standards. Water loss is expected to rise from about 12 to 41 percent between 2005 and 2060 due to rising temperatures. And just like in biblical times, millions of people every day uh, take Trip, multiple trips to get water for their families. Um, some of these trips will often be 30 minutes or more one way. The average percentage of water in the adult human body is about 60%. So it's pretty clear that we all need water to survive, and without it, life would not be possible. But for how much water there appears to be on the earth, we're a thirsty planet. And We're just talking about physical thirst, about water. There are other things that we thirst for. You know, I read a story this week about an actor named Andrew Garfield. How many Marvel fans do we have out here? Some Marvel? Yeah, a few. Well, Andrew Garfield was one of the uh, actors who played Spider-Man and recently appeared in No Way Home, which I thought was a great movie. Andrew opened up about his religious views um, in an interview, and he was at the time playing uh, a priest in the movie Silence. And he shared how films uh, were kind of like his church, where he felt like himself the most. But as he became exposed to the spiritual disciplines of St. Ignatius and uh, began to read the Gospels, he found himself falling in love with Jesus. In his vulnerability, he approached Jesus about his feeling of not enoughness, of not being enough. Despite his success and career, Jesus revealed to Andrew a deeper thirst and the realization that what he had to offer really wasn't enough. The truth of the matter is, what you and I have to offer is never enough. That's why we try to quench our thirst with other people, with things and with circumstances outside of ourselves. But we weren't made for ourselves. We were made for the Lord. And we can only find that thirst quenched when we embrace the one who calls out to us from the cross. So the question I have for for you all this morning is, how thirsty are you? Maybe you don't even know how to begin to answer that question. Well, the good news is that Jesus knows what it means to thirst. In fact, that's the fifth of Jesus' famous last words on the cross. I'm thirsty. We can find it only in the Gospel of John, and actually it occurs just before Jesus dies on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus knew that everything was now finished, and to fulfill the scripture said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. One of the amazing claims of Christianity is that Jesus was both fully human 
and fully divine. He was both fully human and fully God. We see examples of this all throughout Scripture. Like, for example, when Jesus was asleep in the boat uh, and, and the storm was raging around him. It was a very human moment. But then the disciples woke him up and he stilled the winds and he stilled the seas and displayed his divinity. Another example of his humanity is when he wept at the tomb of Lazarus and his divinity when he raised his friends from the dead. Here on the cross, we see Jesus with his human thirst and his divine mastery over the circumstances of his thirst by fulfilling scripture and knowing that it was fulfilled. Jesus was about to die. He knew it and he accepted it. But as I reflected more on his fifth famous last word, I became convinced that there was more than just, there was more to those two words than those two words simply lead us to believe. So that led me to an important question. What did Jesus thirst for on the cross? Well, the first thing that Jesus thirsted for was relief from dehydration. This is the obvious one. He needed water. Um, and, and this is what our minds automatically go to when Jesus says, I thirst on the cross. It was clear that there was an obvious physical need. About 1,000 years before Jesus, King David wrote a psalm that uh, it, was, it was about a terrible situation he experienced, but what was so incredible about this psalm is how it, it really described the circumstances of the crucifixion perfectly thou, a thousand years later. Like much of prophecy, it has what I often call a telescoping effect, an initial fulfillment and an ultimate fulfillment. Listen to the words David wrote and how well they describe Jesus' physical thirst. Psalm 22, verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like pieces of broken pottery. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me down in the dust of death. I don't know about you, but I get chills when I hear those words and realize how Jesus was emptied out for us, how severely dehydrated he was on the cross. Here's what we need to understand. The last time Jesus likely drank was at the Last Supper. And the Last Supper itself probably lasted several hours because it, it consisted of the foot washing, um, a multi-stage meal, and some teaching afterwards. And then Jesus spent about three hours in the garden in prayer and anguish. The scriptures say that Jesus was sweating so much in the garden that it was like drops of blood hitting the ground. And when we are excessively sweating, it causes thirst. But that was only the beginning, because after the garden, Jesus endured about uh, probably about six hours of physically and emotionally brutal interrogations. During this time, Jesus was passed around. He was beaten. He was whipped and flogged, and he was made to walk the Via Dolorosa with the crossbeam on his shoulders. If you're keeping track of time, we're about nine hours from his last drink. When Jesus arrived at Golgotha, he spent another six hours crucified, stripped of his clothes, and exposed to the weather. And this only increased his suffering and his thirst. Keep in mind that he, at this time, was also bleeding very heavily. 
Uh, the human body, the, the, the um, amount of water in blood is slightly less than 80%. And so the more that we bleed, the more dehydrated we become. And so Jesus bled. He became dehydrated very quickly. The human body requires amounts of water that exceed the body's ability to reproduce it. The average sized person needs about 64 ounces of water a day or about half a gallon a day. And Jesus wasn't just dehydrated from a lack of drink, he was dehydrated from losing water through his bleeding as well. And so if we do the math, when we get to this point where he says, I'm thirsty, it's been about 15 hours since his last drink. What's interesting though is he refused wine offered to him just prior to the crucifixion. Um, many, uh, the gospels indicate that it's wine either mixed with myrrh or mixed with gall. And a lot of scholars believe it was a type of medicinal painkiller that was meant to ease the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Which leads to an interesting question, why in the world would Jesus reject a drink that was meant to help him? Well, you have to remember what Jesus was doing up there on the cross. He was up there taking on the sin of humanity. He was becoming, in effect, sin for us so that we might have abundant and eternal life in him. You see, Jesus chose to suffer, to fully identify with broken and suffering humanity caught in the thrall of sin. Jesus chose to thirst. Think about that. Jesus chose to thirst. He could have avoided all of this if he wanted. Remember the picture you saw earlier of the earth? Well, Jesus created everything that there is. He created our planet. He created the water that we need to live. He created the hill that he was crucified on and the wood that formed the cross that he was nailed to. He created the seats that you're sitting in today and the air that you're breathing through the lungs that he fashioned for you. He didn't have to thirst. He didn't have to go to the, tr the cross, but he chose to thirst for us because his thirst is more than for his physical need. And that leads to the second thing that Jesus thirsted for on the cross, and that was his heavenly father. That was the second thing Jesus thirsted for. Jesus wanted nothing more in life than to do his heavenly father's will here on earth. He chose to thirst out of love for his heavenly father. As we heard last week, Jesus found himself completely cut off from the father when he was on the cross. Keep in mind that Jesus is not only the son of God, but he's also God the son. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit always were and always will be. But in this moment, Jesus was completely separated from the Father. This was a more terrible thirst than even his physical dehydration. Again, the words of King David really capture the agony of the cross. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. We know, of course, that this feeling of separation was only temporary, but it must have felt like an eternity to Jesus, who had always been connected to the Father. As Jesus cried out on the cross, he felt as if there was no answer, that, that there was no help on the way. There's another psalm that actually speaks really well to Jesus' thirst. 
Though it isn't necessarily associated with the crucifixion, it really describes that deep need that we have for God. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? Have you ever felt in the depths of your soul this kind of thirst for God? That sense of longing that at the time seems so far from being fulfilled. We often feel this way in times of crisis when the world has opened up beneath our feet and we feel like we have nowhere else to turn. But this was just how Jesus felt about his heavenly Father all the time. He always thirsted for the Father in good times and in the worst of times. What if despite our circumstances, we lived with a thirst for God? Well, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, you can live that way. And that leads to the third thing that Jesus thirsted for on the cross, the righteousness of God. Jot that down, the righteousness of God. You know, the incredible thing about the cross is the great exchange that took place on it. Uh, Paul talks about this to the Corinthian church. Check this out in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus chose to thirst and became sin for us on the cross. What's really incredible is that Jesus, who embodied the perfect love of God in his life and ministry, embodied sin on the cross and paid the penalty of sin, which is death. In exchange, we who rightly deserve to die in our sins instead took on the right relationship between the Father and the Son. In effect, Jesus opened the way for us to become the righteousness of God, which is people who live the love of Christ out in the world. This relational change of status makes it possible for us to enter into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. But first, we need to receive God's grace. And that's the fourth thing that Jesus thirsted for on the cross, our salvation. Jesus chose to thirst, to drink from the cup of God's wrath so we could drink from the cup of salvation. In fact, from the very moment humanity fell in the garden so long ago, God was hard at work on his rescue plan. Those created in God's image had turned away, become corrupted. Like the Father, Jesus thirsts for the restoration and renewal of humanity and all of creation. It's the motivating factor Jesus chose to thirst on the cross. In fact, we see it in this most famous of scripture verses, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. C.S. Lewis once made the point that Conversion is hardly safe because it requires that we come face to face with the king of the universe. Sometimes we hesitate to accept God's freeing and saving grace because we sense that when we do so, our lives will be radically changed and that we will be consumed by God. Lewis tells the story of a girl named Jill who found herself in the land of Narnia and she was desperately thirsty and was looking for some water and she found a beautiful stream uh, and the problem though with it was that there was a fearsome lion standing right near that stream. Well, the lion, whose name is Aslan, uh, asks if she's thirsty and she says she's afraid to come near. 
The lion gives no assurances that he won't devour her if she comes near. She says, well, then I'm going to find another stream. And Aslan says, this is the only stream that's going to meet your need. So she comes forward and drinks, intending to run as soon as she's finished. But immediately her thirst is quenched, and she realized that running would be the most dangerous thing of all. Jesus thirsts because he knows when we receive God's freeing and saving grace, this living water will finally understand there are far worse things to be consumed by in life. It's tragic for people to be consumed by sin when there's dreams of living water readily available to us. These fresh waters quench the deepest thirst, while the salt waters of sin only serve to increase our thirst. You see, until you understand your need for forgiveness and salvation, you'll have little need or little use or little interest in the living waters that Jesus comes to offer us. He thirsts so that all people might drink from the waters of life. Finally, the fifth thing that Jesus thirsted for on the cross was the love we refused. Jesus didn't only thirst for our salvation, but for our love, that we might reciprocate the love that he showed to us. Jesus thirsted for love on the cross. And aside from a brief moment with the disciple John and his mother Mary, there was very little love on that hill. In fact, one of the most powerful things I read this week was from the Catholic bishop, Fulton Sheen. Here's what he wrote about this. Jesus' love was unrequited. He died of thirst in the desert of human hearts. The writer of Psalm 69 really captures this sense of love refused, while also capturing prophetically that final drink of wine vinegar or or sour wine that Jesus had on the cross. Verse 19, you know that I have been insulted, put to shame, and humiliated. All my opponents are in front of you. Insults have broken my heart, and I am sick. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. I looked for people to comfort me, but I found no one. They poisoned my food, and when I was thirsty, they gave me vinegar to drink. The painful truth is that Jesus died in the desert of human hearts. But that isn't the end of the story, and Jesus didn't go out with a whimper. You'll hear more about that next week. But for now, we have a better sense of what Jesus thirsted for on the cross. And the truth is that Jesus thirsts for you and me. So many people are like the Dead Sea, always taking but never giving. But Jesus thirsts so that we would be like the Jordan River, flowing with life and returning love for love. So what do we do with this? How do we, how does knowing what Jesus thirsted for on the cross help us quench our own thirst? Well, to answer that, we need to look at another time when Jesus was thirsty. Believe it or not, the cross wasn't the first time that Jesus asked somebody for a drink. So we're gonna go way back to the beginning, nearly of Jesus' ministry in John chapter four. Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift of God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. 
Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You know, this is one of my favorite stories because here Jesus is breaking down barriers between men and women, Jews and Samaritans, and focusing the encounter on a very common human experience, which is thirst. In the heat of the day, this ostracized woman gets a request she wasn't expecting. Jesus asks a Samaritan woman for a drink, and when she says, why are you a Jewish man speaking to me, a Samaritan woman, he says that if she asks him, he's going to give her water to quench her deepest thirst. Essentially, he said, if you give me water out of Jacob's well, I'll give you water out of my heavenly father's well. And what we learn here is so incredible. You see, it's in quenching Jesus' thirst that our thirst is quenched. What does it mean for the one who, is, who offers living water to thirst? It's a profound question, one of the mysteries of God. But I think it has to do with God's revealed character in Scripture, that specifically God is love with a capital L. Why else would Jesus choose to thirst? It must be love. Jesus experienced thirst on the cross because he poured himself like water out for us. He emptied himself completely until there was nothing left, and then he gave up his spirit, all in love. How many people do we know who would do this for us, who could do this for us? Every day we have a choice of where to draw our water from. Do we willingly subsist on earthly wells that run dry and never satisfy, or on the only well that can satisfy? Jesus teaches that when you give, you'll receive, that the gift will return to you with that imagery of abundance, of spilling over, because it's in quenching Jesus' thirst that our thirst is quenched. So the question that we need to answer is how can you quench Jesus' thirst? There are three ways that I want to share with you as we close up this morning. And the first way to quench Jesus' thirst is to examine your own thirst. Let me show you what I mean as we continue the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're with now. You certainly spoke the truth. How thirsty are you? Jesus guided the Samaritan woman to a place of self-reflection. We don't really know her story or why she had so many husbands. We, we, you know, we can't really judge, and nor should we. But I think that there was something that she was searching for in these relationships that no earthly relationship can deliver or can satisfy. Jesus wasn't trying to shame her. He was drawing her out so that she would examine her own thirst. Until you examine your own thirst, you won't be prepared to receive the living water that Jesus offers to you. We need to be willing to empty our hands of the things that have seized our hearts in order to welcome the one who belongs in our hearts. Pastor Tim Keller once preached about joy. He talked about how, uh, as kids, our mothers would say, uh, uh, you shouldn't eat candy before meals. Well, why? Because of the sugar rush. 
The sugar rush masks our hunger. You see, we feel full, but we don't have what we need, the proteins, the vitamins of nourishing food that help us to develop. In life, things like sex, power, money, and success act as spiritual sugar. When circumstances change and life gets hard, when the, the sugar buzz fades and the spiritual candy is taken away, we're forced to go uh, to, to, to go to the feast that we, truly, that we truly need. Without Jesus, it's impossible for us to develop. When you examine your own thirst, you'll begin to understand what's holding you back from being truly nourished. After this exchange, the woman asks Jesus uh, about the differences Jews and Samaritans have in worshiping God. The Samaritans believe the only place to worship God is in Mount Gerizim, and the Jews believe it's in Jerusalem. But Jesus says that, that that's not quite the way it is. And that leads to the second way that we can quench Jesus' thirst, when we worship in spirit and in truth. Listen to this, verse 23. The time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying here it isn't about where you worship, it's about how you worship. The amazing truth of the gospel is God met us in the flesh. Now that we can freely drink of the waters of life, we're to meet God where he is, in the spirit. In fact, just a little later in the Gospel of John, Jesus invites everyone who will listen to him to come to him if they're thirsty. John chapter 7, verse 37. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scriptures have said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about who? About the spirit. This makes it clear that the rivers of living water Jesus offers to us is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's own presence with us and within us. You see, after you examine your own thirst and deal with that spiritual sugar, we're called to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Thirst for the Holy Spirit transforms the way in which we live our lives. It transforms in the, way, the way in which we worship and serve the Lord. When we're filled with the Spirit, God does wonderful things through us. Each of us is, it's kind of hard to see if you're far back, but each of us is like this mug. We're broken and cracked by the fall. Jesus, on the other hand, is whole and undamaged because he never sins. He doesn't need to give us any of his water, but he chooses to empty himself out for us. So he pours living water out into us. But because we're broken, because we're cracked, we can't hold this water for ourselves. God uses our brokenness to spread this living water to others and to remind us to return to the well where living water never runs dry. So, church family, how thirsty are you? Do you allow God to use you to pour living water on others? Do you return to the eternal well to refill? This is what it means to worship in spirit and in truth, which leads to the third way to quench Jesus' thirst. Do the will of God. After the Samaritan woman returns to her village to tell her people about Jesus, his disciples are urging him to eat something. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. 
Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explains, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus revealed that there's a deeper thirst that can only be met by doing God's will. We too can only experience that nourishment from being who God created us to be and doing what God created us to do. But you might be wondering what that looks like. And I think the best passage to describe what that looks like comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. This is where it becomes really clear what it means to do the will of God. Matthew 25, verse 35. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. What is God's will? That people are brought into eternal life in Jesus Christ. What's amazing to me is how Jesus identifies with humanity so completely that serving somebody else out of love is the same as serving the Lord. You want to know what it means to do the will of God? You do the things Jesus did when he walked the earth, to be willing to be poured out for the sake of others. It's that love that Jesus was starved for on the cross. The love we once refused to give, we can pour out for others out of gratitude for all God has done for us. Jesus breaks bread for the poor through our hands, consoles the sick through our lips, and visits those who are sorrowful with our feet. Do you thirst for people like Jesus does? One last story. Nearly 80 years ago, a Jewish woman named Fania Rosenfeld Bass, uh, she was a teenager in Ukraine, and uh, the Germans invaded. Her family, unfortunately, most of them were killed um, when they invaded. Fania fled, and uh, she ran into a woman uh, named Maria Blyshik. And Maria took Fania into her home and provided shelter for the next two years until their town was liberated. Well, Fania left to go to Israel after the war, um, and they lost touch over many of the decades that followed. Um, this picture was taken in the 90s, which was around the time when they were able to come back together again. Now, when war erupted in Ukraine this year in February, the same story of persecuted people needing help was happening once again, but this time in reverse. Sharon Bass, the daughter of Fania, uh, reached out to Lesia, um, who is uh, the granddaughter of Maria, and Alona, uh, who is Maria's great-niece. Sharon worked hard to repay the kindness that was shown her family uh, so many years ago, trying to get these two out of Ukraine and get them shelter. At first, there was a lot of red tape she had to work through, but she spread the, the story of her family and their family to Ynet News in Israel. And then uh, she was contacted by uh, a couple of people who were able to help her get through that red tape. Alona and Lysia left their homes uh, by bus to the Polish border and took a plane in Warsaw to Munich. They arrived in Israel on March 6th. Now, uh, Sharon's still working at getting other members of, of uh, Maria's family out of Ukraine and getting them the help that they need. But the most amazing truth from this story is that in saving Fania all those years ago, Maria had unknowingly saved her own family. You want to know how to quench Jesus' thirst? 
Let the living water of grace and new life flow from you to others. It will come back around. Just ask Fania, ask Maria. Take some time to examine your own thirst. Throw out that spiritual sugar. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and worship in spirit and in truth. Then do the will of God wherever he sends you. Everything you do in Jesus' name will be a cup of water to the one who emptied himself out for us, the one who chose to thirst for us. And so will we choose to thirst as well? How thirsty are you? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace in Jesus Christ, which never fails and never ends. Lord, you are God, you alone. We are grateful, Lord, for you. We are blessed, Lord, that you chose to thirst for us on the cross so that living waters could be poured into us. And Lord, we thank you that you use our brokenness to pour out that water on others and to remind us that we need to constantly come back to that well that never runs dry. So God, make us thirsty for you. Help us, Lord, to make the same decision to thirst for others, to thirst for our Heavenly Father, to do your will. Lord, you are good, and we are so grateful, Lord, that you have saved us and that you have chosen to thirst for us. All this we pray with gratitude and great expectation. In Jesus' name, amen.